0: are a relatively new concept in modern life. And in reality, it means saying no to people, opportunities, or distractions that present themselves. It can be hard at first for many of us who are people pleasers or don't like conflict, but it also can be empowering and life-changing for us when done with a degree of tact and affirmation. And my guest today is here to discuss the concept in more depth. Mel Kettle is an internationally recognized expert at fully connected leadership and communication. She's a trusted mentor to executives and leaders and a highly sought after speaker and trainer. And clients include leaders, teams, and organizations, that want to achieve real connection and sustained engagement. After surviving the debilitating effects of work-related loneliness, stress, and burnout in her late twenties, Mel believes self-leadership is essential for creating real connection and sustained engagement. She has twice been recognised by Leaders' Harm as one of the top two hundred biggest voices in leadership, one of only seven Australians on the list, and she's author of two books, the best-selling. Fully Connected and the Social Association. She's based in Queensland on the beautiful Sunshine Coast and she loves her work, her husband and life in general. And I can't wait to chat to her today. So welcome to the Politics of Everything, Mel.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Amber. It's so good to be here.
0: Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code, the politics of everything 30 or one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Excellent. So young Mel, what did you want to be as a kid? Do you remember having a childhood dream or ambition? And how did that pan out for you? I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why. I think I... Too many cool TV shows uh, uh, in the 80s and, and 90s, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, it was
1: more like the 80s because I left school in 1987. So, <laughs> But I always wanted to be a lawyer and I read a lot of legal thrillers and I read this great book about legal cases that had been written in such a compelling way and I wanted to be a criminal lawyer and then I decided I wanted to be a family lawyer and a 17-year-old Mel and 16-year-old Mel was not great at studying, it was awesome at procrastinating and so didn't get the HSC marks that she needed to get into law anywhere in the country. So I went overseas, did a rotary exchange, licked my wounds, came home and decided to do a degree in economics. Not my finest moment of decision making. <laughs> that didn't last. It just wasn't Got for out. you. Did you you it drop was, out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens, out. doesn't yep. it? Yeah. Yeah, it took two and a half years to get to oh, the dropout wow. decision. And I would have been there for at least another one and a half years if I hadn't. So if I'm you glad I made yeah. the decision when I did. Yeah, um, I went yeah. travelling again and decided that I wanted to work in the tourism space. So came back to Australia and did a degree in tourism management. Then I finished that and went travelling again. And for the first jobs that I had that didn't involve, you know, bartending or retail, I worked organising conferences. And I absolutely loved it.
0: Excellent. Well, that sounds great and obviously set you up for where you've ended up today. On to our topic today, how do you define boundaries and what that means for us in practice? Do you have a working definition for us all?
1: Yeah, so boundaries to me are decisions that we make and things that we do to protect what's important to us. So whether it's protecting our time, protecting our relationships, protecting our physical and mental health. It's decisions that we make so that we have more control over how we spend our time and who we spend it with, so that we can improve our lives and our health. And I like to describe boundaries as being like a fence, where you've got a fence around what is important to you and what you want to be doing, but it has a gate that you can open every now and then to let something else in or
0: out. I love that. I think we can all kind of relate to that. And that's some, you know, beautiful kind of metaphor to kind of. Take us into this topic. Why do you think setting boundaries is both hard and important for our well-being and even our long-term success? Because I think sometimes we think boundaries are about the short term, saying no to that invitation because you're, you know, you're overwhelmed and you just can't fit another thing in your plate. But sometimes it's about long-term boundaries. I've learned that in my business and my personal life as well. How do you kind of navigate that, I guess, from your personal point of view and how do you advise other people?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that really has struck me in more recent years is I didn't fully appreciate what boundaries were when I was younger. And one of my one of the consequences of me running conferences and events is that I did a lot of work and worked in an organization where The pressure was enormous and I had big responsibilities, I had big budgets, I had a team of people to manage and I had responsibilities that I didn't really know how to leave at the door when I went home. And I also worked about 80 hours a week for the last year of my conference management life. And I did all those things because I didn't actually know that I could say no and I didn't have a good understanding as to how to put boundaries in place that would protect my physical and emotional and mental health. And so I didn't. And so when you say why do people find boundary setting difficult, I think that often people just don't know that they can set them and so you don't know what you don't know and if you haven't had good boundary setting role models for you while you've been growing up, then you often don't know that that is something that you can say no to or
0: that you can
1: have a different opinion about.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That's really interesting. Uh, just to touch on that point about age. I mean, I don't want to be too ages and generational about that. Although we all love generation wars from a, you know, polarizing point of view. What, what do you think? As you get older, you just get better at it too, because you see the consequences of not of not setting them. I think that
1: can be true sometimes. Um, I certainly know that's been true in my case because I suffered from overwhelm and exhaustion and burnout from not having good boundaries and because I didn't have good boundaries, I had really terrible self-care practices. In fact, I don't think I had any. And so it wasn't surprising that I crashed and burned. So for me, I've gotten better. I certainly look at a lot of my female friends in particular and they are often not getting better at setting boundaries as they get older because they're so entrenched in wanting to do everything for everyone or believing that they need to do everything for everyone that they don't know how to step out of that. And they don't want to be that person who is seen as unsupportive, unhelpful, lazy, or selfish. And so they don't put boundaries to protect themselves. And a really good case in point is a client I had a couple of years ago was a woman in her mid-60s. She was. She had achieved so many of her goals. She was really high in her career. She had beautiful family, but she was exhausted because she was doing everything for everyone. And that included volunteering on a number of committees and boards. And I said to her, it's a what lot, can you isn't get it? rid of? <laughs> it, was, it was an enormous amount. And I said, what can you start to get rid of? And she said, nothing. These people rely on me. Mm. I'm like, well, why aren't you looking after yourself like you're you just she wasn't sleeping properly she wasn't eating very well she was just so overcommitted, and she felt that she had no support from her family because she had never asked them for support now That's we know it. that you yeah. shouldn't have to ask yes, but I know. we do um, particularly when you do everything for everybody
0: yes Yeah. Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of women do fall into that category. I don't want to be too gendered about it either, but it is a lot of uh, the mother load and all those things tend to be a thing that I relate to at my stage of life. But Mm. it's interesting that's carried with her into her sixties, because I would imagine by then you just become better or there's, you know, sometimes there's physical reasons you can't, as you get older, you know, there might be ailments or conditions health wise, which prevent you from doing as much, you know, you might get that medical advice that says, Hey, you've got arthritis, you can no longer be doing this, you know, five days a week or whatever. So. that's an interesting dilemma, I think, for lots of people. Setting healthy boundaries does require, as you say, some self-awareness. How Mm. can we achieve that if we're not even aware that we need boundaries? I mean, it sounds like you and I and a lot of people have established those boundaries because of our experiences and and being able to, you know, feel confident in that. Mm. But that self-awareness sometimes is hard to tap into. How do people get there?
1: One of the things that I say to the people I work with and to my friends who ask me that question is think about what is important to you in your life. So make a list of all of the things that are really important to you and then highlight the top one or two or three. Yeah. And then have a really honest talk with yourself about how much time are you spending on making sure that you do those one or two or three things that are really important to you. And if the answer is not very much, then have a look at everything else you're doing and look at what you can remove so that you can add to what's important to you.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so simple when you put it Mm. like that, but it feels complex, I think, you know, when you talk about notions of self-awareness. And it also seems complex
1: because often if you're wanting to spend, like quite often people's priorities are around things that are very personal to them. So it might be things like getting more sleep, or it might Mm. be focusing on their health, or it might be spending more time with their kids, or it might be some other thing that just involves them. And then they look at all of their other things that they need to do over the course of a day or a week or a month or a year, and they all involve other people yes Um, i I love michelle a few years ago when michelle obama was first lady she was in an interview with barbara walters and barbara walters said to her i've heard that you spend an hour at the gym every morning how do you find the time for that and michelle said it is a priority for me If I don't have that time, then I don't feel good about myself for the rest of the day. And if I don't feel good about myself for the rest of the day, then I'm not going to be the best mum that I can be, the best wife that I can be. And I'm definitely not going to be the best first lady that day. Because I think I that's great. If that she's time got time,
0: we all can make time. And I think some people exactly. are these getting up at crazy hours. I know people get up at 4.30 to make sure they get that hour and that's of what exercise. She, that's what she was doing. That's what yeah. she was doing. But yeah. she
1: also said, as women, we need to be putting ourselves higher on our to-do lists.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I thought, yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all channel in a Michelle Obama, why not? Um, yeah. What are some of the best ways to set boundaries at, at work and, and then in our personal relationships? And are these wildly different rules, if you like, or is it kind of all interlinked?
1: No, they're all interlinked. I think the, the main things are to think about what are my core priorities. So what are my core priorities at work and what are my core priorities
0: at home and in the rest of my life? And a priorities um, your to-do list or the priorities, the ideas, and I guess the, the bigger goals behind that, just to unpack that a little bit.
1: So it can be, for me, it's bigger things. So my priorities, for example, are my health. I'm in my 50s. Things are starting to fall apart. I've gone through burnout. I had a melanoma about 10 years ago that could have easily killed me. And that was a really big wake-up call that I've only got one life and I need to live it the way that I want to so that I can love as much of it as possible. And so that's my overarching goal and purpose and priority for life and so all of the decisions that I make for both my personal life and my professional life go back to that. Are the people I'm working with the people who I love and who light me up and make me feel good about myself? Is the work that I do stimulating and challenging And also helping the world, or at least helping my little microcosm of the world of the people who I work with. How do I spend my personal life? As an introvert, I know that if I don't get enough hours on my own over the course of the week, then I'm not going to be showing up with the energy that I need to project when I go out with family and friends or when I'm at work. And so all of those things feed into. Making how I make decisions and what I make decisions for, whether that's what time I go to bed, how much Netflix I watch, how much time I randomly scroll on Instagram on the couch, how many times I go to the beach for a walk over the course of a week, how many times, how many clients I take on at any yes. given time.
0: Oh yeah, a um, big
1: one. <laughs> yeah, much, I mean, I, you,
0: and you are in control of that. Like you're like me. You sort of you know you yeah. work, work for yourself. You can dial it up and dial it down, but. I didn't know that initially. I always felt like all work was good work, if that makes sense. I
1: hear you. I hear you. So I've been in business for 17 years and for the first probably five years I said yes to everything. Actually, no, for the first probably one year I said yes to everything and then I said yes to about 98% of things and now I probably say yes to about 30% of things because a lot of people want me to do things that just don't fill me with joy. Yeah. Or even give me a smidge of joy.
0: <laughs> and that includes, I think, working with great clients. I've worked that out over the years as well. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. if you don't have a an alignment and values match and all those things, it's just not, doesn't matter how much money they're giving you, it's not going to work. And I think it can yeah. be really, they're the boundaries that you find difficult, I think, when you run a business. Yep. Um,
1: and they're particularly the boundaries that are hard when you're starting out and you don't know where that next piece of work is going to come from. I remember a few years ago, I got rid of a client and they were my main client and they gave me a lot of money to do not a lot of work, but it was soul destroying work. And I thought I can't do this anymore because it's starting to have a really detrimental impact on all aspects of my life, Mm. including the energy that I'm projecting to attract the right kind of client. And so we had the hard conversation about how we would go our separate ways. And within not very many weeks, I had enough other really good work to replace the money that they were giving me.
0: Yes. And I think yep. that
1: when you close a door for the right reasons, other
0: doors open that make things better but you don't know that i think at the time and like we are in sort of more challenging economic times mm. than we have been and so i'm always conscious of that as well that um you know you've got to have boundaries but you can't be arrogant in some of your decision making all kind of undermine your business and your and i guess your financial goals as well so i think yeah like oh, you say absolutely about all, all of it kind of working in a, in a way so that you're not naive about what that looks like
1: Exactly. And that's why I talk about boundaries as being like a fence, but there's a gate and you can open mm, the gate.
0: Yeah. And
1: there's been many times when I've made decisions based on money and I've had to open the gate for a period of time to, you know, be able to pay the mortgage exactly. and to be I mean, able to, you know, support the financial commitments that we've got. And so I feel that you people need to recognise that boundaries are absolutely brilliant and super important but every now and then they need to be relaxed
0: yeah and being a bit f- flexible and agile and like you mm. say it could be a season where something is you know not yes. necessarily where you want to be but if you know big yeah. picture what you want to do and how to, how to get yeah. there i think that's okay as well because we move be very hard on ourselves and think it has to be all utopia all the time but oh, you know, exactly life's not like that
1: but sometimes also, you know, we have boundaries around people. I've had yeah. people in my life who I have really, really
0: strongly wished were not in my life. Mm. But Mine because, I'm only mainly family members. I hope they're not I listening. was just going to say, but because we're related. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Friends, it seems there's a bit a, easier these days to kind of go, nope, not for me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that because we're related, there's a time
1: and a place where sometimes they have to be in my world. And I try to make that for as minimal amount of time as possible. But sometimes you know, like the mother-in-law or, I mean, my mother-in-law's amazing, so she's not on the list of people I don't want to go and see, but I know a lot of people have issues. And and so then you need to work out how do I, what boundaries can I put around myself when I'm in the company of that person? Mm. So I'm as protected as possible. And those boundaries might include things like I'm going to go to this family event but I'm not going to stay for the three hours of the event, I'll stay for one.
0: Yes. Or I'll go
1: to this event and I'll say hello to this person but I won't give them a hug and a kiss or just, you know, say hello. Or I'll go to this event and I'll make sure that I don't sit near that person or that after I've done my polite hello, I spend my time with other people who I do, whose company I do enjoy.
0: I like that. I think that's really practical. And that Mm -hmm. can sort of be that halfway point really of like I'm not saying completely no because I have to, to an extent, the obligation is part of family life, I think, sometimes. Yeah, it um, is. They're the hardest relationships to navigate, but also not at the expense of your, you know, your physical and mental well-being. I've learned that, you know, toxic relationships in families are often the worst because they are the ones you feel like you can't escape from.
1: But it's not also, it's even not only in the family. Like I look at some of the, some places I've worked in the past have had individuals who have just made my skin crawl. Yes. And yet there's been times where we've we've had to be in meetings together or we've had to work together on a project. And so it's how do you, what do you do to walk away from that encounter with minimal impact on your mental health?
0: Exactly, the scaffolding you need to put around yourself as well. It's interesting just this this week there's been a lot in the newspapers around Gen Z, so that tends to be that's the generation under the millennials Um, and obviously they're Mm. the sort of, you know, Mm. the young workforce if you like. And they even had the boss of the Australian Federal Police saying in estimates recently that um, they need praise three times a day and he finds it all a bit like and you can't do a smiley emoji otherwise they're offended. So (laughs) it's an interesting kind of dilemma because we can look at that with a generational kind kind of, you know, mm. disparaging view or you could go, well, maybe they're just more self-aware and they're like, yeah, don't really, really patronise with a smiley face or, you know, just how mm. things are perceived can be interesting, I think, in this boundary conversation as well. It, it can
1: be and I think that having an understanding of different generations is really important, particularly in the workplace and, you know, with with five generations in many workplaces these days, if we don't have a good understanding of what makes each generation tick, broadly speaking it can be really difficult to navigate differences of opinion or how we like to be communicated with or how we like to work and what leadership styles resonate with us and so I think that as you know it's so important to get that sense of how do I need to not necessarily modify my behaviour but how do I need to have a clearer understanding so that by understanding somebody better, I can I can get a better sense of why they do what they do and why they might say what they do and why they might behave in the way that they do, particularly when it's something that isn't what I would choose to do.
0: Mm, um, that's a really healthy other, view on it, I think.
1: And the other thing that I think is really important to remember with, particularly with Gen Z, there's neuroscience research that shows that and this research is from 2005 and it looks at babies that were born, I think, between 2000 and 2002, their brains were wired differently from birth. Mm-hmm. And so if you're dealing with and working with and have children and people in your lives that were born in that those years, those years and yes. presumably the subsequent years, their brains are going to be completely different to your brain that might have been born in 1970 or nineteen fifty.
0: Yes, and also I wanted that with the COVID generation, you know, like there'll be an impact on that as well, I it think. just
1: Absolutely will be. One
0: of my clients rang me recently and said,
1: um, can you come and do a workshop for our student leaders? They don't want to go into the office and their employers are really grappling with that and, and mm. the students don't understand why they need to because they've just done the last three years of their high school and first year of university at home and it's gone fine. And so, why do they want to? Why do they now need to go into the office and be around people and have the inconvenience of commuting and putting on proper clothes and hair and makeup and all those
0: things? <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much I could say about that, but I will, will restrain myself. But yeah, it's just. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I saw you know, big banks are also ordering people back to the office, and it's mm. kind of another polarizing thing where it's like, but you know, you're working in a massive organisation. I don't know that you could just be at home in your slippers collaborating forever. Like, I do think if you work for someone else, you and I don't have to do anything because we work for ourselves. Mm. But mm. I do think there's a little bit of an unspoken contract that, and they're also saying like Commonwealth Bank and NAB, it's 50% of the week. It's not every day. They're not saying five days a week, but they're just saying like, we need you back in. Yeah. Um, that's the deal. Like that's that's part of working in this culture yeah. and yeah. how we're how we going to actually, exactly. you know, pay you and stuff is that we actually know that you're part of the team. And the thing with banks, though, and my husband
1: works for a retailer, so it's a similar challenge, is there's a large portion of the workforce that has to go into the office Mm. because they have a people-facing role and they can't do it from anywhere else. Yes. Particularly if you work in a branch. If you work Um, in a branch, yeah, or even like a
0: large team. I'm thinking, you know, comms teams. I mean, how are you going to get the best ideas Mm. just on a Zoom? Mm. It's not going to happen. No, I've got one client who has
1: um, 17 people, no, not 17, she's got 12 people in her comms team. And as a team, they decided what work would look like once they could go back into the office. And they're all in Brisbane, so um, that definitely makes it easier. But they decided as a team that they would go into the office four days a week. And they decided as a team what those four days would be. And Obviously, there's some exceptions around, you know, things that come up and personal stuff that happens, but they've found that they work really well together when they're in the office together because they can have conversations with each other more easily. They can hear the telephone calls that other people are having, which can spark ideas or reminders of other things that are going on. And so for them, it was a very democratic process to make the decision. Yeah, and they, absolutely. And they all adhere to that because they're all willing to do that. And since they made that decision, they've had a couple of new hires come in mm. and they make it really clear that this is the way we do work here. Yeah. And this is these are the expectations. And if you don't want to come into our office four days a week on these days, then this is not going to be the job for you.
0: And I think that's an okay conversation. I don't think it's an unre- yeah. it's not unreasonable, but it's interesting that I guess a generation that's had the options, which many of us haven't, sees it as a non negotiable. Like they won't mm. work anywhere that mm. doesn't that forces them to come in. And I suppose when it comes to boundaries, as leaders, how we have to make boundaries around that, even if they're really talented, well, they're obviously not a team player, or maybe they don't really want the job. They just want you know to do their other yeah. things and, and get some money, and that's okay. But that's not going to be the right. You know, place for them probably if you're a collaborative Mm, organization. Absolutely. Are there some proven ways that we can broach conversations when we're setting new boundaries with, say, you know, either our family or partners, for example, our personal relationships that? so we don't come across as hostile, difficult, or selfish, those kind of things which we talked about earlier in the conversation, but it's easy for that to be the narrative which ends up being how you're painted, right? Like, you you know, you never come to something, you never say yes to the invite, you refuse to be three hours at the function, you'll only show up for the end or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah, I love the word hostile. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I um. um, (laughs) I'm just giggling about hostile. I've totally forgot the question. Yes, there are. And I feel that when it comes to boundaries, a lot of people set boundaries and then forget to tell people what they are. And so they get resentful when their boundaries are breached. The key to having boundaries isn't just setting them. That could be the easy part. The hard part is how do you communicate your boundaries in ways that are consistent and clear and compassionate. And when you're setting boundaries with people, particularly when you've always done something and you've decided I've had enough of that, I want someone else to, you know, pick up the slack or I don't, I'm sick of their behaviour or I'm not putting up with that anymore. The, the the trick and the challenge can be getting your message across in a way that's not going to have you labelled as difficult or or hostile or, or difficult or selfish, as you've
0: yeah. said. Yeah. And people and, hear things differently. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You could oh, be saying do. it with they this do. kind of language that you feel like is not threatening, <clears throat> but they all they're hearing is she's not coming, she hates me, you know, she's difficult. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think the, the best way to start communicating those things is by saying the word I. Mm. I need this and I need that. And because of, and you know, it's like when you break up with someone, it's not you, it's me. This is what I need right now in my life. Now, in a perfect world, you shouldn't need to be explaining your boundaries or your decisions to anybody, but we don't live in a perfect world and so we know that sometimes we do need to. And there's way, like one of the things that I say no to a lot or that I've had to put boundaries around is how many times how often do I do stuff for free? And I'm sure you get the same. Oh, absolutely. Um, questions from people. Can you speak at this event for free? Can I have, can I pick your brain for half an hour? Oh, can no, I can I we have a coffee? coffee? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. no. <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> there was a time would have said yes, but I have good boundaries these days, so that does not happen for me. Changing tack a little bit, what's the best advice you've ever been given and why? The best advice is uh, my grandmother.
1: (laughs) My grandmother said to me a million years ago never get your honey where you get your money. And oh I my really goodness. That I had listened to her when I had one of my first jobs in retail when I dated a colleague because when it all went pear shaped, it was very awkward for a lot of people, not just the two of us. Um, I think but they have think HR
0: rules about that these days. You can't oh, actually cool do that.
1: We were both casuals <laughs> at David Jones. So, right. seriously, there were no rules there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no power imbalance. <laughs> Interesting. Um, no, I like that advice. She's good, isn't she? Yeah. She had some good she has some really good zingers like that. I think the best advice is that Maya Angelou quote that somebody showed me years and years ago. People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you make them feel. And so I try really hard to live my life thinking, what am I how can I how can my interactions with people be kind, even when I'm not feeling particularly kindly towards them?
0: For whatever that's reason, that's very so powerful. So, what is?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? And and I think that there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for that. How do we treat people? And my mother used to say to me, she came back from a trip to the US, 15, 20 years ago, and she said to me, what was really interesting was looking at all of the people in the positions of service. So all of the the staff in restaurants and in retail and the hotels that they stayed at. she said. I found it really interesting watching how other guests interacted with them and it says so much about a person as to how you interact with the people who are there to serve you. Mm. Do you treat them with respect or do you treat them with disdain? And I really genuinely believe that everybody at some stage in their life should either work in retail or hospitality because that gives you such a big insight into the way the world works and it makes you a kinder person when times are tough because you know what it's like to have angry people shouting at your
0: face three inches away. (laughs) The worst, basically. (laughs) And as we wrap up today, what would be your final takeaway message for us on the politics of boundaries?
1: Oh, look, be really clear on what you want from life and put boundaries in place to help you get there.
0: Yeah, I love that. And if you do want to connect further with Mel Kettle, of course, there's some details on our show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.